Ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, goofballs, scumbags, and uh, everything in between. Y'all know what time it is. We are back at it again. <laughs> By back at it, I mean this is episode 88 of the Football Misfits. I am your host with the most. Yeah, I might have the most this time around. LV, aka Paper Fronto, aka Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, aka Buck Nasty. Sad Spurs fan? Mm-hmm. Not where I stand, currently in fourth. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. And of course, it wouldn't be the Football Misfits if I wasn't joined by the other hosts. The uh, I think some, sometimes the word is illustrious. Yeah, we can use that. I'm talking about the one, the only, the man who gets it done. Mr. Misfits himself. He's behind the socials, y'all, and just about everything else. Y'all may know him as Ronnie, and uh, now that I think about it, so do I. Ronnie, say what's good for the one time. We didn't start the fire. Um, what's going on, everybody? Stay strong. Be brave. That's a fact. Billy Joel started the fire, I believe. <clears throat> but it would not be, of course, the football misfits without some data, some facts, some numbers. You might not hear him, but he will be in the background, crunching numbers and and all that stuff. You know, funding Real Madrid and, and Marca, apparently the uh, the publication out in Spain. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the Spencyclopedia Britannica. Y'all may know him as Spencer. I don't. I know him as Spencer. Sp- <laughs> Spencer, say what's good for the one time. What's going on, everybody? Peace and love. Peace and love. <laughs> yes, Ronnie from the data that's saying Spencer with the Adidas sponsorship deal. That is a fact. Yo, He's- if you were here when Spencer told me what he told me, boy, <laughs> that man is getting paid. <laughs> he said, I got your whole fiscal year on my wrist. That's crazy. That's crazy. Lies. We'll get to that. It's okay. We'll get, we'll get to that. Let's not get Spencer jammed up in public for those who be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, much like Ronnie almost got me jammed up with Robert Lewandowski and uh, everyone else in, in Munich, but that's a story for off the pod. We can get to that. Of course, before I get carried away, Ronnie, you know club football is back, and I want to just jump straight into it, but I won't because the international qualifiers wrapped up this past week with some very notable fixtures, not just in one federation, but all around. So my question to you is, where do you want to start? Um, To quote Shakira, it's time for Africa. Woo! That's a fact. She did say that. <laughs> the African qualifiers that took place on Tuesday were nuts. Um, just want to get through quickly some of them. Tunisia and Mali finished scoreless in the second leg meaning Tunisia, one nothing win in the first leg was enough. Morocco washed DR Congo 4-1, 5-2 aggregate. And with that being said, we can keep it pushing. We can choose one of the three matches. Let's start with Ghana and Nigeria's second leg in Abuja. The, the Jolof Derby. So much in this match. Uh, obviously, last week or... Um, they finished tied, and there wasn't a lot there. So you could imagine that this one would be hot fire, hopefully not more of the same, and at the very least some penalties. But, in fact, we got goals early, early as hell, um, as Ghana would open the scoring courtesy of Thomas Partey 
and a real slip up from the Nigerian goalkeeper uh, Uzuho um, or Uzuho. I probably said that wrong. Sorry, my sorry, my guy. Nigeria would then equalize courtesy of a penalty from William Truster Kong in the 22nd minute. And this match was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It was it, it was some sparks flying. And there was also, from what I saw, a lot of pettiness going on. A lot of flops and uh, yelling at the ref and, you know, hiding the ball when they're taking free kicks. Just, you know, a lot of stuff. I even saw online at one point, this could be bullshit, but apparently the Ghanaian FA or... Um, I guess the Ghanaian government, when Nigeria was given a plane and they landed, um, or might have been the other way around, uh, they they gave uh, whichever team, it could have been Ghana or could have been Nigeria, um, a stepladder coming off of the plane. And it was shorter than the plane entrance. So the players had to kind of jump off of the plane in hope that get, they'd get injured. This is what I heard. This could be a legend, but that's neither here nor there. Ridiculous stuff. The match was on fire, but Thank you. Before I get ahead, Victor Osiman did get a goal. Nigeria got that all important, uh, you could say, goal that would level them on aggregate or put them ahead. And it was called off. Ghana had some life going into the second half. There were no goals. And it would finish 1 1 uh, after the end of the second leg, which would, which would mean that Ghana qualified. For the World Cup on away goals, Nigeria crashed out. The uh, official sponsor of the Footy Misfits, the Ghana Black Stars, they're going to Qatar. Hey. And... <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get Spencer's reaction to this. Ghana are in the World Cup first time after an absence in 2018. Oh, I'm excited for them to be back. We'll see how the team shapes up. It's just great to be on the world stage again, and good to see them play. So I'm happy that they're back, and let's let's hope for a good tournament. So this officially confirms that Ghana Jollof is better than Nigerian Jollof. I don't think they needed to play to confirm that. (laughs) I love the smoke air horns for that. I love that. I think that's the spiciest I've ever seen spent on this podcast. I love it and I appreciate it. We're going to have some Nigerian hate, but that's the least of our concerns because if you look anywhere on social media, uh, Ghanaian fans across the world were cooking. (laughs) <laughs> the Nigerian fans. I, I saw all type of shit saying uh, the, their Jollof isn't as good, uh, their Juju isn't even as good. I was like, damn, we're taking it there. We're taking it there. So it was it was some smoke to be had. Ghana, of course, got the last laugh. And as I said, they are moving on to Qatar. That match was fiery, but that wasn't even the beginning of what was to come. The other two matches, Ron, if you want to go ahead and take the other two or one of the other two, Let's go to the electric light show in Dakar. It will bring your laser pointer to the stadium night where Senegal hosted Egypt. <laughs> I saw someone said uh, the first 10,000 fans get a free laser pointer. <laughs> Green laser pointers all over that, that stadium. And all of them pointed at Mo Salah and anybody else that was wearing red. Bing! They made the stadium look like the nightclub. Um, but- <laughs> With that being said, though, um, it was one nothing going into the second leg, and Senegal scores in very early, I think within five minutes, and there would be no scoring from there on out. Extra time didn't resolve in anything. Penalties. Now, before we go on, let's just preface this by saying, in the AFCON, we said it didn't matter whether or not Mo Salah would be shooting first or last. 
for Egypt? The fact of the matter is, everybody who went ahead of Mo Salah still missed their chance. And we literally got the same shit here. The lone difference is Salah went first. He missed his chance. Everybody else missed their chances as well, except for the third penalty. And with the exception of a couple misses for Senegal, Sadio Mane, yet again, scores the game winner 3-1 on penalties. Senegal are through to the World Cup. Ooh-wee. It just goes to show those folks that were saying it doesn't matter about the penalty, uh, you know, lineup and who goes first and who goes last. Obviously, last time Salah didn't even get to take one because Sadio Mane finished things up. This time around, Salah takes one. And to be fair, he had green laser pointers in his eyes, nose, teeth, head, shoulders, knees, toes, all of that. And he sent eyes, that shit. ears, and mouth and nose. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and I saw someone say that. It wouldn't matter if there were laser pointers at his head, at his at his face, because he's looking at the ball. While that could be true, um, I guess I I've never taken a laser point. I've never taken a penalty with mad laser pointers in my face in a tournament of such as this or in any tournament for that matter. So I don't know, but yeah, it, it, that could be true. Regardless of the fact he went first this time, he sent it to heaven, and so did most of the other guys in the Egyptian team. They kind of said, "Oh, he's gonna miss." Bet <laughs> so will I. And it all ended with that same storybook finish. Sadio Mane saying, listen, I told you guys from the, from the jump, this is my team. I'm the man, and I'm taking this last penalty, and nobody's going to save it ever again. So uh, Sadio Mane again coming up big for Senegal uh, as he's, you know, he sent the Lions of Taranga not only to the top of the AFCON tournament, but now also to Qatar. So... Crazy scenes uh, after the match finished, however. Basically, it was a flooding of the pitch, a storming of the court, if you will. Uh, madness of March type stuff. More like a world qualifier playoff type stuff. Um, but even with that madness, that wasn't the craziest match uh, in the African qualifiers cycle. Nope. Now, the big one, Algeria versus Cameroon, yep. which, will, which would finish... <laughs> 2-2 uh, with Cameroon winning on away goals. The way we got there, however, was what you really hate to see and what really makes football football. As in Algeria, Cameroon goes up front courtesy of Eric Maxim Chupamoting early in the match in the first half. The only goal that would come in the first half or in regular time for that matter, uh, that would obviously tie things up for Cameroon. And as extra time began, it was tired legs. It was back and forth. You didn't know who was going to take that goal, and it felt like we were going to penalties. To penalties. Uh, Ahmed Touba of Algeria would go ahead and put his home nation at home up front uh, in the 118th minute, and from there, you felt like Cameroonian hearts were broken all over the world. I thought I heard Samueletto cry somewhere, but the man who was not Vincent Abubakar, the other man who was scoring goals left, right, and center for Cameroon, Carl Toko Ikambi, decided to take matters into his own hands and say, bro, we're going to Qatar. Scores a goal in the 120th, plus four. Literally could, could have been the last kick of the game. And absolute scenes upon scenes there in Algeria. Unbelievable match. Unbelievable outcome. And an even more unbelievable way to qualify and punch your ticket to the World Cup. Cameroon are in Algeria after allegedly being the most undefeated team 
with the record that lasts God knows how long, have fallen and fallen hard. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Hey, man. Carl Toko Akambi came up big. That is the type of moment that he's probably going to go down in African football or Cameroonian football lore, at least. Scoring that late to send your country through to the World Cup. No one's going to forget that name. That's a fact. There's going to be mad kids named Carl Toko Akambi or mad kids just named Carl <laughs> so, in Cameroon. You'd love to see that kind of stuff. And when you, we, we've seen late last-minute goals on the club level a couple of times this season. Even just this past month in March, we saw that a couple of times in the Europa League off the top that I can remember. But there's nothing quite like when, the, when everything is on the line, be it qualifying, be it uh, an international trophy, and when you see a goal like that, as much as I love club football, these are the kind of moments that make an entire country either cry tears of sadness or tears of joy. And Cameroon is crying them happy tears. Algeria is crying them sad tears. There were some more European finals uh, qualifier matches that we need to go through. Obviously, last week we spoke about North Macedonia taking down the Giants that were Italy, and uh, that set them up to play Portugal. That match would be much more anticlimactic, a little more business as usual if you. Um, might have assumed Portugal basically wiped the floor with uh, North Macedonia. Brun Fernandes, as, as they call him, uh, with a quick brace, uh, goals on in either half, and Portugal booked their ticket to Qatar, North Macedonia. The fight was beautiful, and the dream seems to be over for now. Elsewhere, a match between Poland and Sweden would see Sweden, who won in extra time in the semifinal to this match, couldn't find a goal to save their lives and looked like they were in it all the way through, but it would be two goals from Poland in the second half. One, of course, from the talisman, my op somehow, apparently. Uh, Robert Lewandowski, I didn't want to say his name, the guy. <laughs> and uh, Piotr Zielinski would seal things in the 72nd minute. Sweden are out of here. Obviously, they have a very bright future. They have a bunch of players that we believe are very good one of which plays for my club and used to play for Ronnie's club. Our man's, of course, Kulisevsky. But that's neither here nor there. Their future is quite bright. It just won't be bright enough to be playing in Qatar come December. Now, of course, that leaves one final qualifier spot that would be Wales playing in the final, and they'll face off against either Ukraine or Scotland. And the finalist on the other side will be decided some point in June. So they say we shall see, and uh, the winner of that match will book themselves a ticket to Qatar as well. Quickly, Sweden getting knocked out was a bit disappointing, but watching the match itself, Poland were the far superior side. Again, you mentioned goals from Lewandowski and Zelensky. They were deserving of a World Cup place. Um, and then North Macedonia not being able to fulfill the dream, so... That leaves that one tie. We already told you who we thought would make it out of that tie. Um, LV thinks Wales. I think Wales, but I love to see Scotland. And I'm mad at Ukraine if they make it through either. Quickly, Asia. Um, Australia's opponent for the playoff was confirmed. The UAE beat South Korea. So that's that. Over to the CONCACAF. Mexico defeated El Salvador 2-0 in the Estadio Azteca. And then the U.S. lost 
to Costa Rica 2 nothing, but didn't really matter because that confirmed the World Cup places for both Mexico and the U.S. Um, El Tri leapfrogging the Stars and Stripes. Costa Rica, pura vida! They are going to the playoffs against New Zealand, who confirmed their place as Oceania's winner. Um, they beat the Solomon Islands, don't know how much. But Costa Rica, New Zealand is one of the intercontinental playoff matches that we have coming up, as well as Peru hosting, well, not hosting, but Peru playing either the UAE or Australia, all the intercontinental playoffs in Qatar. So no having to travel long distances across the world. They're all in one location. And, yeah, we have all 29 World Cup participants. Minus the three playoff winners, but yeah, I think uh, it uh, needs to at least be said. Obviously, while U.S. the USMNT, a young crop who uh, is very, I guess, uh, promising in terms of talent. Uh, obviously, the USMNT missed out on on the World Cup last go round, and this go round they looked like they were going to seal it, and they continue to look like they were going to seal it for mad long, and they dragged their feet to the last match. Uh, where they were going to qualify unless they lost by at least six goals, I believe, which they didn't. They just lost by two. Not the prettiest way to qualify. Uh, they even dropped down a spot, allowing Mexico to leapfrog them. So, yeah, USMNT, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, qualify, qualifying is qualifying. But the way in which you do it, kind of a little lackluster, if you ask me. I think so as well. Um, they had their moments where they didn't really look tip-top chip. There are some games you could point out. Losing to Panama, quite depressing performances against Canada. American Shock Jock would be like, yo, they don't give a fuck. They're in the World Cup. That's all they want. But it's how you get there that I think matters. I still think Greg Berhalter is a fraud. We'll see how they do in the World Cup. Sheesh. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke on this pod. Smoke. And I, I, don't fan, I don't really rate him. I just don't like he got them to the World Cup, yeah, but it was lackluster, like OV said. They won yeah. the Gold Cup and the Nations League. That's cool and all, yeah. but when they had to go away to places, the only win was against Honduras, and even then, they're being outplayed until coaching fuck, the motherland up. But yeah. what's the hell they do in the World Cup? If I'm a USMNT fan, I felt confident about qualifying and then after a certain point they had me smoking out the window with that stress there so uh but yeah as you said of course at the end of the day they qualified and their world cup group sounds pretty interesting but we can get to that at some other point the other point being in a little bit because friday to wrap up the international break we saw the fifa world cup draw more importantly we saw lv and the good brother, Sebastian, of Campfire Football, go on live for our first ever live and direct. Um, before we even go further, air horns for that moment in Footy Misfits history. Yeah, that, that, to Sebastian for pulling up. Yeah, that was fun. Our good, our good friend, uh, Sebastian, of the Campfire Football podcast, uh, and myself, reacted, if you will, live and direct to the World Cup draw. And uh, after being able to see what the group shaped out to be in Qatar, 
Oof, that feeling, that familiar feeling is coming back. We've got the World Cup just around the corner. Normally, it would be basically two months from now, but we're going to have to wait a couple of a months extra, play out in the winter, and I can't wait. It is so exciting. Yeah, man, I saw the schedule. The, the round of 16 starts the day after the group stage ends. Yeah, yeah, so there's basically no rest. Um for for teams just finishing up their qualifiers I mean, you might be able to get a slight rest if you play on the opening day or if you can wrap up your group pretty soon but knowing how the world cup goes you can't leave anything up to assumptions or chance so and on top of that i think for a lot of club football which goes on in the winter time of course normally uh at least in europe most of the, the big leagues will have a break around that time anyways uh, it'll be the premier league's First time trying something like that out. And it'll be a quick turnaround. The Premier League will end a short eight days before the World Cup begins. So I wonder if those things will factor in because players from all across the world do play in the Premier League and in other uh, leagues as well. And so it'll be very interesting to see how that quick turnaround in play, you know, shapes out. We, we shall see. I mean, we've had a very, uh, a very uh, tight turnaround for international tournaments over the last year and a half, two years because of the pandemic and whatnot. And it's made for some good football. It's also made for a couple of upsets that I guess we didn't see coming or may, maybe some of y'all did see coming. But uh, yeah, that's one of the things I'm very interested to see at least. Good shot, Ronnie, good point. It's also worth pointing out that the World Cup is in Qatar, yes, but when you think about it, it's basically in Doha. Just think about the World Cup being played in London. And using venues like Wembley, the Emirates, Stamford Bridge, the new Spurs Stadium, Craven Cottage, and all the venues within London, London Stadium, Selhurst Park, and all the venues within London. Just think about it like that and how wild that idea sounds. Yeah, it sounds like the Olympics. Are, what are they going to have, an Olympic village? <laughs> That'll be interesting. So that's just one thing I wanted to point out. On to the draw itself quite interesting we were excited to see the teams that were placed in their groups and i'm watching this on one feed and then i'm watching the live so um again can't stress with enough shots to sebastian and lv for killing it um group a features qatar ecuador senegal and the netherlands worth pointing out that the opening match is senegal and the netherlands not qatar and ecuador that is just, you know, interesting in that the host nation should be playing the first match, the opening match, just to kick off some, the energy in the place that they're playing. And you would think, and, you know, we had that conversation speaking of the live and direct, that that is something that makes things, you know, all the more intense at the location where the World Cup is being played. And the fact that it'll be two foreign teams playing the opening match, poof, wonder how that'll go. It's also worth pointing out that there will be four matches in a given day every day throughout the group stage. So um, while Group A is going on, by the way, Senegal-Netherlands sounds like a cracking matchup. Thanks. Group B will also kick things off. England will play Iran on the opening day, and the United States will play a UEFA winner, which is either Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. So, yeah, England and the U.S. are in a group again, bringing back memories of 2010. Oh, yeah, Robert Greene. Oof. That brought a uh, U.S. patriotism 
to an all-time high if I've ever seen it, something like July 4th. A lot of talk of, of the tea being dumped in the Boston Harbor, things like that. Uh, you could argue that's what really kicked off, you know, the 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 rise that we know uh, footy uh, and the popularity of it as we know it today in the states. That 2010 World Cup, obviously, it was it was semi-popular before then, um, but even much more so after that tournament, where we saw some really magical moments uh, and then some sad moments as well for the USMNT, but. Yeah, whenever you can get England and U.S. in the same group and they're playing each other. There's even apparently some sort of history between Greg, Greg Berhalter and uh, Gareth Southgate of England. So a I don't lot know what history it is because Greg Berhalter pretty much has none, but all right. <laughs> you know, no, no love for Berhalter. <laughs> oh, I don't rate him at all, fam. I yeah. genuinely don't. And maybe this well, might happen. This might add to that, actually, maybe, because apparently he says that Gareth Southgate is somewhat of a mentor to him. So take that for what you know. Take it. Take that for what it is. I spent some years on site. <laughs> now I do want to point out that all I kept on seeing on social media when England and the U.S. were picked together was the headlines from the New York Post talking about the U.S. beats England one-one. Yep. No, they said that's that. not a lame title. <laughs> and someone said, "Yeah, we're gonna run it back." I'm like, "All right." Actually win this time and don't call a draw a win. Yeah. I also saw a headline saying the uh, U.S.'s biggest draw since Bunker Hill, <laughs> So, you know, all the Civil War references will be very – no, Civil War, goodness. All the uh, Revolutionary War references will be at an all-time high. And if Ukraine does end up qualifying, this will definitely be – well, actually, anybody who qualifies, this is – the geopolitical group of the World Cup. <laughs> that, that, that's a fact right there. International relations, uh, a college course that I took at one point. Something like that, if I, if I may say so myself. But yeah, so that, that plays out Group B, basically. Group C, some would call a gift for Argentina, who headlines at the top of that group. It also features Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. If Argentina fumbles this bag, they do not deserve shit. And that's a fact right there, because they, they are clearly the powerhouse in a group that features teams that, I mean, Saudi Arabia can't say much about them. Mexico has been on the decline. I've been saying it pretty publicly for a while. And then Poland, who, yeah, you know. I um, think that decline will be a little steeper at the World Cup. Well, yeah, yeah people are going to be like, oh, um, Mexico can bring it at the World Cup. They're not going to get past Argentina, I don't think. Poland will be the team who might could trip Mexico up. If you ask me early predictions, it'll be Argentina and Poland going on. Mexico, um, I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> I, I think I agree with you. I think I pegged Mexico as one of the flops of the World Cup. It hasn't even happened yet, but I think it I think it will. And if I'm proven wrong, then I'm proven wrong. I don't think I will be though. Um but on to the next group in group D, which is headlined by the defending uh champions, France. Uh in the second position is the winner of whoever wins the IC playoff one, as they call it, which I believe is um, U Peru, UAE and Australia. There you go. So the winner of that one will go ahead and enter into group D as well, alongside France, Denmark, the, the team to watch out for, in my opinion, uh, also in group D. And then finally that's closed off by Tunisia. 
that one, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say France, Denmark, keep it pushing, but that's just me. Uh, this is literally a regard if it's Australia or Peru, they both played in the same group of France and Denmark in the last World Cup. And maybe, that saw France and Denmark go through. Um, familiar faces. Familiar faces. And we would see more of that later on in the draw. But before then, Group E, which once people saw the first two teams that were placed in this group, the thought of Group of Death was already out there. So the first two teams that were drawn were Spain, who was in Pot 1, and Germany, who were in Pot 2. Um, rematch of the 2010 World Cup semifinal, where Carlos Puyol pretty much made a fool of Germany. Whew. Japan were also drawn as well as the CONCACAF Oceana playoff winner, so Costa Rica or New Zealand. Um, whether or not the group of death is a very strong group, especially if Costa Rica makes it out of that playoff. I agree. I think everybody in that group is pretty solid. Uh, obviously, Spain, who are you know only getting better and showed that in the Euro. Germany, who I believe have been getting slightly better after looking really, really bad um but you can never count them out ever it is germany at the end of the day so <clears throat> a very interesting group there and then um group f i think which could also be called maybe a, some sort of group of death if you look at it closely in uh belgium you know the team who their golden age is i think the window is passed in my opinion but they still have us yeah, gold turned into rust real quick. Uh, that's 10 carats. So, <clears throat> Belgium obviously headlines that group. Uh, they're still at very, you know, they still have a bunch of players that are, you could say, in their prime and still play great football uh, across Europe and other places. Canada, the team also to watch out for, who has really made a name for themselves in the last qualifier round. They had a really good gold cup. Uh, Morocco played decently in the AFCON and, you know, I think we're a favorite to qualify, which they did. And then a Croatia team that has been aging, but still has, you know, that danger that if you don't, if you don't take them seriously, they can stun you. So, so interesting play there in group F. I'm going to go out on a limb. I know it's very early for predictions, but first instant reaction, Belgium and Canada go through. If you ask me, I, I would love to see Canada go through. I'm going to rock there with you. Uh, I'm going Belgium and Canada as well. Fuck it. Why not? Right. Um, now, this next group, Group G, for me, is the real group of death alongside the group following that. Uh, we've got Brazil, who has been on fire against everybody, unless they're named Argentina. Uh, Serbia, who topped their group in, in the UEFA qualifier rounds. Switzerland, who stunned France. Uh, in the Euro this past summer, y'all don't forget very quickly. And then the Cameroon that we just spoke about, who have two absolute deadly goal scorers up front uh, and who are, are hungry. So that, that group is too close to call for me at this moment. Anybody can get it and anybody will get it. So I can't so wait to much, watch. So much talent in this group, whether it be the Neymars and the Firminos and the Lucas Takatas, yes. whether it be Tadic and Vlachovic. Shakiri. You think um, Coutinho Jans. gets called back up for Brazil? Oh, good. Very good question, Spence. Um, going off of how he's playing for Villa, I would say yes. Yeah, that's a great question, Spence, uh, from the data desk. Who who'll be having the good questions whenever he pleases? Um, yeah, Coutinho's been in form since coming back 
to Aston Villa where he has much less pressure uh, than he did at Barcelona and Bayern Munich, for example. Uh, he almost looks like the Coutinho of old. I won't say he's there quite yet because the Coutinho at Liverpool was a deadly, deadly player. But I think that he would be a great addition for a Brazilian midfield that's already pretty intense at the moment. Um, it's also worth pointing out that he was called up to this March international break. Yeah. So he's working his way back onto the national team in time for World Cup. So if he makes it, then it, I would say it's a yeah, and it makes a lot of sense because he's been playing probably some of the best football he's played in a couple of years over the span of the last couple of months. So I think you'd be remiss not to call him up. And so I could definitely see it. Ronnie could obviously see it. Um, but going going on, like for like I was saying, the, all the stars in this group, Switzerland, Shakiri, of course, you have Brillen Bowell, Jan Sommer. For the Swiss man, Cameroon, we just mentioned Abubakar, Toko Kambi. Uh, Chupa Moting, um, Andre Onana in goal. So yep. this is a and very that, talented group. So I could see yeah. the you know not a clear, not two clear cut teams that would make it out this group, other than Brazil, I would assume. Yeah, and he, going back to Switzerland, either we know he could be a fuck up in the red card king for Arsenal, but when he plays for Switzerland, Granite Shaka is a force to be reckoned with. So <laughs> you know, I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, no shortage of stars in that group there, which is why I'm calling it the group of death. Watch out for Group G. And then finally, Group H, which I think is another group of death. Personally, we've got Portugal. And I'm calling them uh, a tournament flop. I think that they are great on paper. And they have, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo, the, uh, the record holder for most international goals and a bunch of other records. They're the best teeth maybe behind Roberto Firmino, neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Portugal on their day are better than, you know, could be one of the best teams in the world, which is why they were in pot one. Ghana, of course, who is another team, when they turn it up, uh, they are a force to be reckoned with. Uh, obviously, we don't want to see the Ghana that was in the AFCON tournament who basically just crashed and burned out of it. We want to see the Ghana that played fiercely against Nigeria in that final qualifier there. And I believe we will be able to see that. Uh, the third team in that group, Uruguay, and man, just seeing those two names put together brings back a lot of memories, some not so good ones if you're of a Ghanaian uh, descent or if you're just a fan of Ghana or African football, that is a heated historical match, especially in the World Cup, which, you know, made Luis Suarez one of the most hated men in Africa, all of Africa, forget, not just Ghana. Um, but I believe that'll be one of the first few times that they play each other again since 2010 so i can't wait to see that and then yeah, finally um, yeah and then south korea um but yeah to the point where the ghanaian fa said to quote spencer here it's on site factos yo as spencer says it's been 12 years and he says too soon my guy listen i i mean i get it i feel like I, at one point while that match was uh a, an incredible match to watch um for i mean i was i was rooting for the, the furthest going african team at that point which was ghana and to see them exit in that manner was heartbreaking to say the least i couldn't imagine how i'd feel if i was one of the players or a fan from ghana with roots in ghana so uh uruguay clearly feel completely different about that they were on cloud nine Luis Suarez, that was the birth of the villain himself, big teeth and all. That was before he was French toast body. Um, 
But yeah, so much, so much history there in just short 10, 12 years that that's going to make that an electric match once they meet up. Um, and then, of course, uh, you've already probably mentioned it, but South Korea can't count them out as well. They do have my boy, Youngman's son there, who is deadly to say the least. And let's not forget what they did in the 2018 World Cup, ruined the lives of Germans everywhere and became favorites in the hearts of Mexicans everywhere <laughs> with that last <laughs> stage game. So anything is possible, obviously, in the World Cup. And South Korea is a team that can make anything happen. So Group G and Group H, to me, the groups of death, Group E, honorable mention, that gives you three groups of death off the rip and many more groups that are evenly matched. Again, as I said, we are a short seven-ish months from the World Cup, the greatest tournament in the history of the world. Th these four years felt like forever, and now we're almost there. And with the groups being finally called out, even though there are some playoff spots to lock in, once you see the groups, it just feels like it's getting there, right? Yeah, man, we are almost at that time. The World Cup is round, right around the corner. I know we can't wait for that. We're going to have special things planned for that. I know that for a fact. And one more time before we move on from talking about the World Cup and the international break, final set of air horns for LV and Sebastian for, again, rocking our IG Live on Friday. That was some amazing content, and I know I appreciate all the people who watched and interacted with us. Big facts. That was that was a really grand old time. Can't wait for y'all to get up on live. It's fun as hell, so and you, you kind of have a sense of control. It's nice. Um, and be able to interact with those that have listened to the Football Misfits and follow us on online and, and showed some love in the live and, you know, threw some questions at us, had some comments, and really just came to enjoy that celebration of, like I said, the best tournament in the world, uh, drawing closer and closer. Uh, it was great. So can't wait for what we have in store for the future. Um, and by future, I mean the very near future. So live and direct uh, just getting started and we've got plenty more on the way. Speaking of on the way, I just want to pause the pod for a second. Pause it. Okay. And usually pausing the pod is for a bad thing, but this is for a good thing, a great thing oh. if you will. All this international football, you know, you love it. It's patriotic. It's the biggest game in the world. It's more than a game. You know, whatever, however you pronounce football, soccer, whatever you want to call it. Ah, let's just get that out of the way for a second because no matter what's going on, club football is back. <laughs> and boy, is the business end of the season wrapping up to be one of the best seasons across all competitions in many different leagues, if you will. Everything is just coming to a wonderful, wonderful finish here. I will start by saying the Premier League, which I was dead wrong about. Ronnie will be the first to let me know. I said City wrapped the title up after Christmas, and he said, fam, Christmas is not even halfway through the season. Damn right. We got a one-point title race here uh, in the Premier League. The top four race at this, where we stand now, is currently tied. The relegation race, five teams are fighting for their lives. It's everything, and it's everywhere. Moving to Serie A to close the season out. Napoli are looking to win their first title since Diego Maradona was playing there. 
AC Milan are trying to do their best to not let that happen. And Juventus, we'll get to that, had a shot to win the title and still kind of have a shot, though they shot themselves in the foot. Inter Milan are also in the race. That is a damn near four-horse race over there in Italy. I can't speak for uh, Germany and Spain or France. But to me, once you see that, and that's not even getting to the Champions League and the matches that we have coming up just in this next week and a half alone, club football is back. Unpause the pod. I don't know what the point of pausing the pod was because that was going to be our next talking point. So let me just break down a little bit of everything you just said. All right, boom. One, um, <laughs> Premier League. Two matches that stood out. One, Manchester United, Leicester. You're going to get into that. Oh, yes, I will. Brentford, <laughs> Brentford putting the beats on Chelsea. Um, that stood out to me. I, I literally was watching the match without even noticing the score. It was 3-1 at that point. And then Chelsea just gave up another a fourth one, losing 4-1. Christian Eriksen scoring for, for Brentford. And that man has had a hell of a week from scoring against the Dutch to scoring at home against Serbia and now scoring his first goal for Brentford. Antonio Rudiger had himself a cracking goal as well from way outside the box, damn near middle of the park area. But not enough. 4-1, Brentford came out on top. Not to just that ass whooping one time, in it? Oh, yeah. That just reminds me of um, at the, around this time of the year, last season, a flying Chelsea side uh, who just hired uh, – Thomas Tuchel took a mean ass whooping to West Bromwich Albion, who looked like Barcelona. Sam Allardyce is West Bromwich Albion, so it seems like Chelsea love to give up the the ass whooping around this time of year. It happened to have happen uh, under the hands of Christian Eriksen, Thomas Frank, and Brentford, who absolutely. I mean, it, that game went from one nil up to Chelsea to what the hell just happened? Here? <laughs> Fifteen minutes. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, you love to see it, and that on the lowest of keys almost blew up the race for the top three even. Chelsea now just four points ahead of Arsenal who have two games in hand. Oof. Duh. Love to see it. Liverpool put the beats on Watford. Just two nothing. Little humble beats. Only for Man City to do the same to um, Burnley. So Liverpool left the league for like 45 minutes and then... <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. And I feel like we're seeing shades of that season where City finished Centurions and Liverpool finished with 99. The only difference here is that in basically a week's time, City will have to play Liverpool. And that will that could decide unless they somehow draw, which I that I better not see that. I had I just literally paused the pod for no reason and went on about how club football is better than it's ever been for a long time this season. For them to draw would be embarrassing at the very least. So, but yeah, the huge game between them there that could decide the fate of the title in the Premier League and very exciting stuff. Uh, in my opinion, that was pretty much it for the Premier League, aside from a few more relegation, scrappy dogfight matches. Everton continue to be down in the dumps. Frank Lampard, since taking over, I think has lost seven out of 11. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Get it together. Um, oh, and I should mention that we spoke about USMNT in the UK because of the World Cup. Jesse Marsh having a tough time getting it together, but has been keeping Leeds afloat. They had a match against Southampton in which Leeds did take the lead, no pun intended, early on before Southampton, courtesy of probably the best free kick taker 
in the Premier League for the last 10 years, James Ward-Prowse, getting that equalizer, and Leeds doing whatever they can, and Jesse Marsh seems to have a slightly better plan than Frank Lambert does. <laughs> hey, man, since Jesse Marsh took over, Leeds are 2-1-2. Two, and two. Exactly. Not, not the best, not the worst, but pretty good, like you said, keeping them afloat. Basically, uh, seven points clear of the relegation zone at this moment, which is uh, a lot when you get to the business end of the season. Yes. Imagine Italy. That was pretty much all there was to mention. Um, Napoli defeated Atalanta, not letting go of the title for shit. Um, AC Milan plays on Monday. We don't know what the result of that one will be. That was a pretty good bit wrapping up Serie A. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> you, you said what you had to say about Juve Inter. Inter won one nothing on to La Liga. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I will say, before we keep it pushing, absolute firecracker of a match. That it was. That it was. Yeah. The fact that it finished 1-0 was, was a shocking bit for me. You know, I thought there would at least be a, another goal on from either side and we saw oh my goodness is Dennis Sicario with an absolute firecracker off the post Vlahovic did more of the same what a match to be seen Inter Milan was able to pull away with that win and for a very questionable couple minutes of VAR there uh, not to say controversy and if that ends the season you know where, where it ends the season that might be a talking point later on but neither here nor there you're absolutely right uh Serie A is on absolute fire, and it has been, and we've been saying it for the last two months. On to La Liga, which I didn't care to watch any of this week, to be honest. Well, I was able to see a little bit of Real Madrid and Santa de Vigo. Real Madrid won by the penalty spot. Karim Benzema, of course, scoring both of them. One early, one late. Nolito scored the only goal for Celta. Though Benzema did have an opportunity to have a hat-trick of assists. I mean, a hat-trick of penalties, rather. But he had a penalty saved by Matias Dituro, um, who wore a cap during the match. And LV, I know you have grievances towards goalkeepers wearing caps. I, I absolutely do. <laughs> That's straight BS of the week. You could, have, you could have had the best match of your life. Fam, this is the wrong sport. You're not a shortstop. You're a goalkeeper, fam. Put the Peter Check joint on. You know how it goes. Come on now. Now, how do you fancy, and I didn't mention this when it happened, but when Canada were playing qualifiers, um, their goalkeeper was wearing sweatpants. <laughs> That's almost just as bad. Uh, and what's even funnier about that is I usually see African goalkeepers wear pants, and I'm like, damn, when you play, it's usually pretty hot. <laughs> like, Why would you do that to yourself? Milan Borjan of Red Star. Um, 34-year-old goalkeeper. He was wearing um, sweats, gray sweats, if anything, to go with the blue top. Oh, he's a freak. <laughs> <laughs> and we will leave it at that. Anyway, on to today's matches. Um, Barcelona have had quite the turnaround since Xavi came along. They won one nothing against Sevilla with an, another amazing performance from Pedri. Scored the long goal in this one. Pedris and Xavi and all the young stars on that team are really turning things around. Barcelona are in second place. They're still 12 points behind Real Madrid. But a lot of people are, you know, starting to throw whispers around. Might Barcelona win the title now? I don't know. I don't think so. But 
Yeah. Gotta get credit for what it's worth. Xavi is doing the damn thing at Barcelona. I, I absolutely agree. I think this is just goes to show that Barcelona were a work in progress and at the beginning half of the season were a lost work in progress. But Xavi has righted the ship, it seems. And through the use of those young players that you just mentioned, and you know they're all putting the work. And to be fair, their transfer window in January has seemed to help them out a lot. They found some goal scoring, you know, and are relying much less, much and much less on Memphis Depay, who was basically their backbone all of the beginning of the season. And Barcelona are kicking into gear. Those ten commandments, or however many Chavi had, seem to be working, and they're reestablishing Barcelona at least to be a Champions League side again in La Liga. And what's next for them, we shall, of course, wait and see. Real Madrid still pretty comfortable. They're just like, all right, y'all do what you guys, what you guys got to do. We're going to win this chip. Eh, yada, yada, yada. But I actually have one last point on La, on the La Liga. Not that I watched anything this weekend, but Rayo Vallecano, the team that I would chose to go ahead and tip my cap to at the beginning of the season, continuing again to let me down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to the point where they played Granada today and were leading uh, – through two goals in the first half, and they gave up a two-goal lead. The last one came in 90 plus four, a penalty kick. Goodness gracious, Rayo, y'all just, what happened, guys? (laughs) Just wanted to point that out. They're really letting me down and just just continuing to be uh, an embarrassment in 2022. Overachieved like shit in the latter half of 2021, and all of it is coming down to shit. So, yeah. Um, speaking of letdowns, that's what Borussia Dortmund did to a full capacity crowd at the Westfalen Stadion. Um, they just got absolutely washed by RB Leipzig, four-one. Oof, nastiness! That South Wall, what they call it, the Yellow Wall or whatever. Yes. Yeesh, a little green today uh, for throw-up. <laughs> that's a terrible joke but i'll take it um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um but no they i i just goes to show you that bvp are a team that doesn't really i don't know man they they have moments of brilliance but then they just fucking fumble the bag i don't get it and they're so close in the title race with Bayern. apparently people want to make that title race a thing still it's just not yeah, people are trying to make fetch happen. They got to stop trying to make fetch happen. Uh, BVB are the same team who we knew them to be all season. A team, like you said, with individual brilliance, but absolutely a shit defense. And what that gets you is they concede a bunch of goals. And unless they can score a bunch of goals, they usually end up either drawing or losing. And that is more of the same. RB Leipzig is, an, is the team. I mean, the shades of last season, they look they look like they're picking back up form. They obviously were stumbling and fumbling with Jesse Marsh at the beginning of the season, but are kind of fixing themselves up now. And they slapped around BVB like, like it was nobody's business, like they owed them some money. Uh, so BVB letting themselves down yet again. That is a fact, man. And Bayern just continue to push on. They defeated Freiburg 4-1. And I'll talk more about this match a little bit later, but... um. Before we get to that time, there is one thing I did want to mention, and I felt like we had to mention because of how much it means to footy, regardless of gender. And it happened on Wednesday. Barcelona's women's team put the beats on Real Madrid in the Women's, <laughs> in the women's Champions League. The match ended 5-2. I believe seven three on aggregate. 
But point is, Barcelona just went through the competition. But more significantly, this match was played in front of a record crowd at the Camp Nou. The specific number was 91,553. That is a new world record for a women's football match. Beating the 1999 Women's World Cup final between the U.S. and China, 90,185. I mean, that just goes to show football never dies. Football is alive and well. 91,000 to watch a Champions League fixture between two of the biggest clubs in the world. Bigger attendance than a World Cup final? Oof, duh. I mean... It's pretty crazy, but yeah, big up, big up to the fans that turned up, and big up to Barcelona's women team who just can't lose. <laughs> Goodness gracious! <laughs> um, it was actually eight three on aggregate. I watched the match, and from Barcelona him playing around the stadium to a big stadium tifo that read "More Than Empowerment" to all their fans who would usually be um, singing Messi's name. And now they're singing Febri's name. They were singing Alexia Puteas' name. That that had to be special. Oh, yeah. An absolute baller. Deserves all the praise, as does the Barcelona team as a whole. Uh, I can't remember what the number is of their undefeated streak. Is it 41, 42 now? A Um, lot. It is an absolute lot. It reminds me of the Yukon <laughs> women's teams uh, over here in the you know the basketball uh, women's team who just would win for four straight years. Barcelona look like they can do that and then some. And it seems like the fans are recognizing that they're watching something special before they're very out and they better appreciate it while it's there. And that's what they did. Record-breaking attendance, no matter what the sport is, no matter what the gender is, the genre, whatever you want to call it, that's off. That's what's up. 91,000, jeez. 91,000. And the referee was Stephanie Fapar of France. She, of course, refereed Liverpool versus Chelsea in that um, UEFA Super Cup. Hats off to all the women in football. Um, to quickly run through the rest of the Women's Champions League, Barcelona, they get to play Wolfsburg now, who defeated Arsenal on aggregate 3-1. I did have hope that... While the men fucked up, the Juventus women, who had a 2-1 lead on aggregate, would hold on to it, maybe had on to their lead. Um, No, they did not. Lost 4-3 on aggregate. Leon will now play PSG, who won 4-3 in extra time on aggregate. It's Leon and PSG, two of the best women's teams in France in that playoff semifinal then. The final was in May in Italy, so Barcelona versus someone in France, winner Barcelona. Yeah, uh, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, um, hats off to Barcelona, 91,000. I can't get over that. Show enough. I mean, that just puts a stamp on it. When a team is that dominant, you got you to gotta watch them, you got to appreciate them. And Barcelona are all of that, and then some. I believe it was that time. Yep, I'm looking at my watch here, and it looks like, is that uh, a B? And a, yeah, it's BS of the week time. <laughs> Let's hear that drop. Nobody is doing like what some journalists do when they write bullshit. 
Wow, you, you are afraid to say it. If it's all bullshit stories, what is it? Most of the times, it's uh, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple. Um, both have to do with Germany and Germans. At the World Cup draw, Lothar Mateus forcing a smile when you know damn well he can't. <laughs> it, it was just so painful to watch this guy force a smile. Like, man, you can't smile. I get it. Don't force it on people. Shouts to him, I guess, for making the effort, I guess. Second be the BS in the Bundesliga. I mentioned um, Bayern took on Freiburg. There was a point in the match where there were 12 players on the field for Bayern. So apparently in the 86th minute, Corentin Tolisa and Kingsley Coman, they both came off for... Marcel Sabitzer and Nicolas Sula. The issue that happened here is the fourth official didn't display Kingsley Coman's number properly. So Coman didn't come off the field. And for a little minute, there were 12 players on the field for Bayern. Bayern might don't have to forfeit that much, but if it was the fourth official's fault, I don't know how that goes. So much confusion in that match. This is very amateur for the Bundesliga. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff you see on Shaqed in the Fool. If there was a, uh, a European version, which is, or, or a footy version, which actually is the BS of the Week. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, um, we do have the drop, but we, I, I gotta love Shaqed in the Fool. In the steam room. Facts. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Shots to Inside the NBA. I love that. The best NBA show on television. Facts. Probably one of the best sports punishment shows on TV, period. Absolutely. But it's a different sport for another time. Uh, my BSs of the week both come in the Premier League, one of which is on an executive level. The Premier League finally, uh, on March 31st, approved and will introduce or reintroduce, if you will, the five substitutions rule uh, beginning next season. Only two years after the only two years after the pandemic began. A little late, don't you think? But uh, as Ronnie once wisely said about the Premier League, it is ass backwards. So, basically, we went to the Premier League. Yeah, you got it done. Two years, a little too late, fam. I mean, come on, y'all. But, as backwards as Premier League. As they always are and probably always will be. Uh, the second piece of BS came, obviously, we talked about Manchester United drawing Leicester in the Premier League on Saturday. 1-1 was the final result. Man United did have a chance to get all three points late on uh, with a through ball into the box. I believe this was an extra, extra time, or I should say stoppage time. Marcus Rashford would have run onto this ball and maybe took a shot and scored, but based on his form lately, maybe not. So Anthony Elenga, who was offside, decided to take matters into his own hands into this uh, through ball, which entered Leicester's box, I said. 
goes for a shot or tries to attempt a shot at the same time Marcus Rashford is attempting a shot and all they do is just tackle each other <laughs> the ball skids over to Casper Schmeichel he laughs so did I I said fam what are y'all doing Man United uh man you can't even compare them to the Manchester United that they used to be quite some time ago because it's been such a long time ago and that right there was their season and their last couple of years in a microcosm right there so Marcus Rashford Anthony Elanga fam y'all Elanga what was you doing you you was offside really funny stuff Marcus Rashford didn't find it as funny he slammed the pitch uh, as he tried to get back up and was just like fuck this man I shouldn't even be playing this sport Um, so that's my BS of the week it was a very funny to see two main United players tackling each other instead of hitting the ball they hit each other and uh, before Man United makes some other bullshit happen, do you want to go ahead and turn the boys off? Oh, Gary knows going back into my. BS of eternity, Gary Neville coaching Valencia. Never not BS. Um, BS well, of Yeah, That's BS Hall of Fame for sure. Hall of Famer. Oh, Hall of. No fucking doubt. No doubt. Um. But thank you all for listening to episode 88 of the Football Misfits Podcast. And thank you all for listening and interacting with us on social medias at Footy Misfits. And again, thank you all for joining our first ever live and direct. We'll have more down the road. And episode 89 is right around the corner. So the good brother did a desk. I'm so paid, Spence. And LV Paper Fonto, I go by the name of Ronnie. We'll see you then. Be strong, be brave, adios. Ooh, wait.